Welcome to Coffee with Kim. I'm Kim Kelp, and every week you and I sit down with fascinating, smart, and talented leaders, CEOs, and founders so that we can copy their homework. If someone knows how to do something really well, I want to know what it is and exactly how they're doing it. Get ready for aha moments, gems of wisdom, and little known tips and tricks that we can steal and use in our own lives. If you want to join these conversations and ask these experts your own questions, no point in just me having all the fun. Join us on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern live over on LinkedIn. I've got my coffee cup ready. (laughs) I hope you have your mug filled as well, whether it is with coffee or wine or anything else. I'm so excited to see you here today. We took a few weeks off, a little summer vacation, a little summer break. If you haven't already, tell us where you are in the world. Say hello. We are a friendly bunch here. If you came here expecting a boring, dry webinar, you're in the wrong place. If you came here instead to pull up a seat at the table, join us in the conversation, bringing amazing questions, bringing amazing comments, suggestions, you found us. And boy, are you in for a treat today because we are about to have a whole lot of fun with an amazing woman who you are going to adore just as much as I do. As always, I always say, if you can do a little Google stalking on our guests beforehand, because we are getting right into the good stuff. You know what I mean? We are not spending time on being a regurgitated Wikipedia page. So hi, Brooke and Jim and Sherry and Vanessa. Keep on saying hi. Keep on letting us know where you're coming in from. Don't be shy. I know sometimes typing on that keyboard, you're like, oh, I just want to watch. I don't want to participate. Too bad. You must participate. It's part of the rules. It's part of the show. So get in there. Say hello. Say where you're coming in from. And get excited because this next guest, you're going to want to ask her a lot of questions. So get, get the fingers warmed up typing with where you're coming in from as like a good prelude to where we're going. So you are going to adore Laura. You have already Google stalked her. You already know she's amazing. You already know how many things she's doing, but if you haven't already, I got you friend. Don't worry. I'll give you a little recap before she comes on in. Uh, Laura is an amazing podcast host. She has a really fun podcast called Big Talk. I really encourage you. You can find it on um, Apple. I get mine on Apple podcast. I don't know where you get yours, maybe Spotify or somewhere else, but uh, it's on there. It's under big talk. She also has an amazing book called Limitless, not to be confused with our other Coffee with Kim guest, Jim Quick, who also has a book called Limitless. It's just a limitless family. I just, I'm, I'm obsessed. And then my like little fun fact that I just think is so cool and geek out over is that Laura was a presidential appointee I don't know. It just sounds really important, like just presidential in front of everything. If I go to a hotel and they give me the presidential suite, I immediately feel like Beyonce. I'm like, don't mind me. I'm just in the presidential suite. Thanks so much. So but she's she's actually a presidential appointee under Bill Clinton, which just feels very official. So lots more to Google on her. So get, get your Googling fingers out there already. But wherever you are, raise your glass. And help me welcome Laura to our coffee table. Hello. How's it going? It's good. It's good. I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker, um, Neither which I. I know is, oh, and don't people look at you like you're insane when you're like, I don't drink coffee. Yeah. I don't even <laughs> like the taste of coffee, coffee, ice cream, coffee, cake, coffee, candies. Yeah. Same, same. And then when they're like, have coffee, ice cream. And you're like, no, it's just coffee, but it's not even warm. It's cold coffee. I just can't handle it. So I'm glad to meet a fellow non-coffee drinker. I'm sitting here with my, um, I have, it's a protein shake. It's, it's really very not exciting, but I was seeing that you were welcoming people from all over the world who I'm hoping are drinking wine because it's wine o'clock somewhere, right? I mean, if you were in France, <laughs> India, Kenya, I don't know. I think there, Zurich is six hours ahead. So Stefan, yeah. I hope there is red wine or Pinot Noir in the cup. I won't tell. <laughs> but I, okay, so I introduced you with like all your awards and accolades and all the things you're doing. But I'm super curious. How do you introduce yourself 
if you're if you're at like a cocktail hour or like a party or a networking event because I mean you can't go through 16 bullet points but that's kind of what you have going on you know it's such a funny question because I've actually been wrestling with this myself recently because someone will ask me what I do and I, I don't really know how to answer it I mean I write books I give keynote speeches. I'm researching my next book, so I'm doing a podcast interviewing great people like you. By the way, check out Kim's episode on my podcast. It's amazing. And so I never quite know what to do. Like, do I introduce myself as a speaker, as an author, as an executive coach? I don't know. So it really, mostly I just tell people I'm a writer now. And that, you know, if people are curious, then they'll ask me more questions. And if they're not, they, they won't. And it, we sort of take the conversation from there. But I will tell you, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was during the 15 years, I did executive search for 20 years. And during the 15 years that I ran my own company, people would ask me what I did for a living. And I started off by saying, I'm a headhunter, or I'm an executive search, or I'm a recruiter. And people would give me that look like, oh, because no one's had a good experience with a headhunter, right? It's always pretty terrible. Or I would say I do recruiting in the nonprofit sector and I get the like, oh, isn't that nice? You work in philanthropy from like all my husband's colleagues who worked in finance, they've got big man jobs. And I one day woke up and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna change that. So people would ask me what I would do and I'd say, I run an executive search firm. And it was like, oh, that's different. And so there's something about the way you introduce yourself and the elevation and the confidence with which you introduce yourself that I think really matters. And that becomes the way that everyone looks at you. Every other question after that is seen through the lens of that elevation that you give them from the start. It's like you walk in as an expert until you tell them you're not. A hundred percent. And I love Christina's point of like, what don't I do? And it is true. You do a lot of things. So what don't you do? Um, but I think you're so right. And I think it's part of um, you creating your own narrative. And that's why I'm excited. And that's why I was really excited about our topic today about career paths, because yes. I think that your career path is in a very esoteric way, is you creating your own narrative, your narrative about who you are, about what you do, about who you help, about who you serve. And so I think, you know, when you're talking about describing yourself as a writer, I mean, that's really what you're doing. You're telling stories in multiple mediums, books, podcasts, you know, coaching, keynote speeches, but that's and, and sharing experiences at the heart of it. Yeah, it's it's really true. And, you know, my job has always been to see the greatness in others and reflect it back to them in ways that they could either see it, maybe for the first time in their lives, or actually believe it in a way that they can act upon it for the first time in their lives. And I did that in politics. I did that in executive search. I do that now as a, you know, keynote, motivational keynote speaker, as, uh, you know, a self-help personal development writer. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I think what we do is, it is is only sort of part of the story. Like what you do every day is different than what you've accomplished over the course of a job or a career or a lifetime. And I think that we need to start telling our stories more in terms of the things that we're trying to accomplish rather than the day-to-day -day tasks. So even saying, I'm a headhunter as opposed to I run an executive search firm is different than I'm a writer versus I help people get unstuck, right? At the end of the day, what do I do? I help people get unstuck. That's my job. And I do it through lots of different ways, whether it's the podcast or the you know social media posts or the coaching one-on-one -on -one or speaking to 5,000 people. At the end of the day, my job is to help people get unstuck. And I feel like unstuck is something that I think we all more than ever in the last <laughs> yeah. year and a half, I think we, I think we were all struggling with like being stuck, but then COVID hit and it was just like one booger that just squished us all together and made us feel really freaking stuck. So have you found that your, the coaching, the keynotes that you do, has that changed in the past year and a half or really the tactics that you've been using and teaching others, like they're tried and true. Like they're going to, they're going to be true now. They're going to be true in two years. They're going to be true in 20 years. You know, it's an interesting question. Um, and I haven't thought about it, but I would, uh, the truth is that I think they're exactly the same because we're all stuck at different points in our life for different reasons. The only thing is that we just have the same reason in common for the last year and a half. But the truth is 
we all have, you know, the neighbor down the street who has an opinion about what we're doing. We have a, you know, a mom, we have a teacher, we have a grandparent, we have a friend, we have social media, we have somebody who has some opinion about whether or not what we're doing is good enough, fast enough, big enough, are you wearing the right clothes and exactly the right size? There's always somebody who has an idea. And the problem is, and this is what I wrote my book Limitless about, is that we base our idea of success on what everybody else tells us is success. Here's the path, here are the check boxes, go to the right school, get the right internship, get the right job, do all the right things, go for the big promotion, get the big raise. And then we get to the top and a lot of times we look around and we're like, the, the top of what? Like, is this, is this all I'm meant for? Is this all that there is? Because what happens is along the way, we discover so much about ourselves that we realize that the definition of success that actually works for us, that's actually gonna make us happy, isn't the same one that everybody else has. And so I think what happened in the last year and a half is a lot of us asked ourselves this very important question. When life goes back to normal, is the normal I'm going back to really the life I want? And for the vast majority of us, which is why we're seeing the great resignation right now, the answer was like, mm, I, don't, I don't think so. So we've all been stuck a lot of our lives, <clears throat> a lot of our lives, we just, we're just all stuck for the same reason now. So I think it's given us sort of this thing to bond over and an excuse to finally make a move. But I think people are still not sure of how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. And like, is it okay if I don't do it with all the people I was doing it with before? So I think the, I think the methodology is the same. I think the messaging is the same, but more empathy in terms of the, how scary it is right now is probably what I've added to the toolkit. Well, and I loved, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and things that you, you regularly put out, but one of the best examples like that just really resonated with me when you were talking about success and what it looks like is you talked about, uh, I may or may not have had my own experiences with this. You talked about your mom wanting you to date like the perfect guy in DC <laughs> and you had found this guy who was like cute and nice and successful and funny. And then you went to like kiss him or something. And there was just like no sparks, there no were, spark you know, Allen. No, yeah. <laughs> And, and that to me, like, I think I work best with like analogies and like visualizations and that totally hit home yeah. because I think we've all had experiences, whether it's, you know, me with dating where they're like, go after the nice guy, Kim. And I'm like, no, I need to go after the jerk who's super hot. Why do I do that? I don't do that now. My fiance is wonderful, but I used to do that when I was young. And so, but, but I think we do this so much in our career that it's, you know, well, you're the, the, the assistant marketing person now, then you want to be the head marketing person. Then you want to be the vice president. Then you want to be the president. And you're like, I'm sitting here as the president of a company and an industry that I don't even like. Right. And, 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 and you have to go in every single day, like running faster and faster and faster on this treadmill when all you want to do is figure out how to get off. Like, it's not where you want to be. It's not where you're interested in being. And that actually happened to me when I was running my firm. I was 10 years into running the search firm and I realized I didn't like search. <laughs> you really enjoy it. We sort of, I, I was interested in solving the problem of talent for mission-driven leaders, for the nonprofit sector. I wanted to solve big problems in the world. And I learned when I left the White House, I, I went to the best and the brightest search firm, the big marquee firm. And I learned from the greatest people how to do this work in the greatest way. And then one day I woke up and I had this moment of rage. I was like, this can be done better, different, with more authenticity and more integrity and with better ethics and more money for us, but charging our clients less. And there's this great way to do it. And I walked into my boss's office and I'm like, here's a better way. And he was like, there is the door. And, you know, I, I, he did not understand how I was not interested in like, how do I make the most amount of money? How do I get to the top? How do I get the corner office as fast as possible? And, and it just, it, 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 it was like everything inside of me was saying, here's what you want to be doing. And everything outside me was saying, here's where you want to be being. And the doing and the being didn't really work together inside of me. I wasn't in consonance, right? I was, I was, everything inside of me was like organ rejecting, like this can't be what I'm here for. And so that's why I started my own firm. And then I ran the firm for 10 years, innovating and changing and growing and being so excited about always being 18 months ahead of the market. 
figuring out solutions to problems that our clients didn't even yet realize they had. And then I woke up one day and I was like, I, I don't care that much about search. I'm more interested in innovation. And my team, which had grown pretty large by that point, was like, can we just take the car out on the road and see how fast we can drive it? Like, stop innovating already. Like, we are we're like, we just like, we're doing good work. Let us do good work. And I realized that the better I got at my job being ahead of the market, and the better they got at their job being deeply invested in today's clients, the further apart we were. And I realized that it, I, I could keep running and running and running on this treadmill, but I was doing it in a way that would eventually become a disservice to me. Whitney Johnson talks about this in her S-curves as, as the moment where, where you, you end up doing self-destructive things. I would go into clients' offices without having done enough homework and I was flying by the seat of my pants and I was had been doing the work long enough that I was good enough at it that I could fake it. But it was bordering on malpractice towards the end. And I knew that it was time for me to go. And that's why I decided to turn to my team. And I'm like, you need to buy the firm from me. I'm I'm done. And we had a great exit and it was terrific. And they're thriving now. But there's that moment where you get there and you're like, I, I don't want to go from being the assistant to the assistant, to being the assistant, to being the junior, to being the senior, to being the manager, to being the director. Like, I just, I want to do something else. And it's the same thing where you're told when you're young, like for me, like marry the nice Jewish doctor. And I met the nice Jewish medical student. And when I kissed him, it was like milk, butter, eggs, cheese. Like I just, there was no spark. And my grandmother would say like, just concentrate. You just concentrate. And I just couldn't get there. And it's the same thing with work. Like we can try as hard as we want to concentrate and like to make this thing, to shoehorn ourselves in our weird square peg into this crazy round hole. But if it's not you, it's not you. And you're never going to be your very best version of yourself when you're trying to be somebody else's version of themselves. It's so true. And I, and Rachel make an, an interesting point here. You know, you did that in a point in your life where you, you were older, you were 25 years old, you had people counting on you. You know, you talk on Instagram all the time about your amazing son. I know you're going to be in Texas <laughs> yes. uh, soon where I am. So, you know, do you find that, you know, whether it's executive coaching or maybe keynote speeches or, or to Rachel's point, just as you get older and more people are counting on you, sons, daughters, family members, that, that gets harder? And if so, what are some tactics or tips that you've given people that can help them either think about it or, or find themselves getting unstuck at a point where they do have maybe more people relying on them? Yeah. So I, Rachel, it is a really good point. I will say that um, I sold that executive search firm to my team and jumped into a completely unknown, uncertain absolutely no planned future about six years ago. And I just turned 50 and my kids are 17 and 19. So I've done this multiple times in my career. I'm only saying that to say like, I, I, I'm saying this from, I'm telling you the next thing I'm going to tell you from experience, not from conjecture. This is something I've, I've, I've reinvented myself multiple times. Yes, it is much easier to do when you were young, when you are unfettered, when you don't have people relying on you, when your rent is, you know, 600 bucks for, you know, half an apartment and all the cockroaches or, you know, live there rent free. That's like an added bonus. I've had those reinventions, but I've also had reinventions later in my life. And the key to it is making sure you bring other people along with you. So when I turned to my team and said, I, I want to sell the firm to you guys, I'm like ready to do something else. It took five years from the moment that I told them I was leaving that I wanted to leave to the moment I actually walked out the door. It was emotional. It was hard. It was scary for them. They weren't sure. I was the founder. Will the firm you know, survive without me? What do we need to put in place? How do we roll it out? What's the whole plan? There was a, it was, it was tough. At the same time, I also had to have the conversation with my husband, with my kids, with my friends, with my parents, with everyone else about what I was thinking about, what I was going to do. How do I, how do, how do they still feel comfortable and knowing that they're going to be part of my future when they only knew who I was in my past, right? That's a scary thing for them too. You, you, you are, you are packing your backpack, you're packing somebody else's backpack and they don't even know you're packing them yet. So having to have the conversation where you just sort of float some idea balloons, tell them what you're thinking about. Don't float idea balloons to people whose favorite thing to do though is to pop the balloon wait on those people. So have some of your plans, do some thinking, um, bring some people along with you who you know are going to add to momentum. Ask them questions. What would it feel like if, what do you think about this? I'm kind of, you know, musing about this idea. I would love to get your thoughts. Don't ask them for their opinion, yes or no, because it's scary and people's knee-jerk reaction is no. So it's taking some time 
early on. And then the last piece of it I'll say, and this is just the economics of reality, we all have to deal with it. There is a need to make number and a want to make number. So you have to spend some time thinking about your need to make number. Your need to make number is what is your rent or your mortgage? I see that you've got a husband and a special needs sister. How much are you supporting them? What is that? What is that number? What do you need to do to make sure that you've got that covered? And then ensuring when you talk to them about your plan and what you're thinking about, making sure that they know they feel safe, they feel secure and knowing that you've got six months of savings to cover that or you have a plan to get to that need to make number. And then there's the want to make number and the difference in the need to make number, the want to make number is how many vacations are we going to take this year? When we take that vacation, are we going to stay at, you know, the, the, the four seasons? Or are we going to stay at the motel six, no shade to the motel six, but I'm a princess, right? So my want to make number is a little bit higher um, than it would be if I was okay camping again, don't like the bugs. So um, those are the kinds of things that you have to think about. Like how are you managing everybody's emotions? Their emotions are going to be excitement for you, but a lot of fear. And a lot of times, this is the last thing I'll say on this, when you walk up to somebody, you run into somebody, a friend at a coffee shop, Kim, I'm sure you've had this experience, and you're like, I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to move to Austin. I'm going to do whatever. And they're like, oh, you, 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 you can't do that. That's so scary. What they really mean is, I could never do that. I'd be too scared. So just make sure along the way that, that you know that the reaction you're going to get from people is either going to be excitement or terror. Not much in between. And your job is to bridge that gap between them. It's so true. The, te the terror is real. Um, if, you're, if you're just passing yes. on, pull up a seat. We're talking about managing career change and carving your career path. If you have questions, throw them in the comments because you have a seat at the table and we're doing this in real time. I will say, Laura, I'm super curious to hear your points on this. So I did a poll uh, to everybody who RSVP'd for today, which was like over a thousand people, about what is the hardest part about carving your career path. And the top two answers were really interesting. And I'm curious about like tips or tricks that you have for those top two answers. And the top two answers were 45% of people said, I'm not sure what I want. I'm not sure what I want when it, when it comes to my career. And the second one was, I don't know how to move forward, which is a little different because it, it tells me that they have something in mind, but but they're just like they're they don't even know how to get there. They don't even know how to make the first step. So so when people come to you with those two scenarios, you know what are what are some pieces of advice that you that you can give them? So I, I wrote my entire book based on this question of I'm not sure what I want. And uh, and and what I will say is we're not sure what we want because the outside world tells us what we should want and it just doesn't feel right. So we don't know how to move forward because we're like, that's what they're telling me. And it's not quite right. And, you know, it's not gelling. You know, there are those moments and th there's a great Harvard Business Review uh, article called The Fundamental State of Leadership, where it talks about those moments when you are at your very best. You are using the things that you do best to solve a problem you actually care about. And you're being rewarded for solving that problem in a way that's personally meaningful to you. Could be karma, could be financial, could be career trajectory, whatever it may be. Those are the moments when you are your fundamental best version of leadership. And it could be loud on stage. It could be quiet, you know, in the back room working on a budget or a PowerPoint presentation. It could be, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, a really difficult and tractable problem. It could just be helping people like, you know, things that are popcorning up all around. But those moments where you are just walking through walls, you're leaping tall buildings, those are the moments when you are absolutely limitless, right? You are your very best version. And we only find those moments when we're actually doing the work we care about. And the problem is, is that we are, we are told our entire young lives, go get the career that's going to pay you the most, that's going to have the, you know, the, the fanciest title, that's going to have the, you know, the best career trajectory, that's going to have the most career stability, whatever the things are that we're given, we're given a, a, a list of, um, of, of, of factors. When I was in search, we used to say that there were eight motivating factors that would convince anybody at any time. If you picked up the phone, you got them on, and you're like, hey, Kim, let me tell you about this job. Would you be interested? I would listen in the stories that you're telling me for 
things like, do you care about the mission of the company? Do you care about the skills that you're going to learn there? Um, are you inspired by the leadership? Uh, do you, you know, is the geography interesting? You know, things like that. How prestigious is the brand? How good will it look on your resume? How long is your commute? Of course, money is one of them, but money is never the top one. Um, it is for some people at some points, but it's usually like number two or number three. Sometimes it's even lower. And so we would listen for those things. But the problem is when we were given that list, when we were in high school, when we were in college, wherever we were, we were never actually told to prioritize that list in a way that works for us. And so the reason that we don't know what we want is because we're being told, go get bigger, better, faster, more. When what we might want to do right now in this time is sort of smaller and quieter and less because we're focusing on raising a family or taking care of a sister or, you know, whatever the case may be. It may be that this is the moment in our lives where people are like, just, it's hard. There's a pandemic, just self-care, mental health, all very important things. But you may be like, I'm ready to go. This is my moment, right? So everybody's got a different cadence and a different time and a different function. And so the, 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 I wrote Limitless to talk about this idea of consonance. How do we find the, the the careers that allow the what we do to match who we are? And, and we can talk about this more, but in it, I talk about the four parts of consonants, which are calling, connection, contribution, and control. So calling is that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, the thing you care about, this gravitational force, a leader that inspires you, a cause that you want to serve. Connection is, does your work actually connect on a day-to-day -day basis to that calling? Contribution, where it's, Connection's all about the work, contribution's about you. How does this work allow, how does it contribute to the life that you wanna live? Does it provide the money for the lifestyle you want? Does it give you the hours for the flexibility you're looking for? Does it allow you to manifest your values on a daily basis? How does it contribute to that life that you want? And then last is control. How much personal control, how much personal agency do you have over how much this work connects to your calling and how much it contributes to your life. And so when we think about, I don't know what I want, really the question is, what's going to give you consonance? What's going to allow you to find that fundamental state of leadership? It may be that right now what you want is to go flip burgers and to come home because you just are super invested in your family right now. You don't want to have this thing hanging over your head. It, like We all have different ideas of what makes work valuable, but we have to start thinking about what makes work valuable to you personally you like interesting you know unique special you so that's the like how do i figure out what i want is to is to not you know you don't you don't walk into a store and say you know let's see what they have i'm going to go buy some outfit here right you're going to walk in and you have a very specific idea of the style that you have and you go and you look for that the problem is we have to figure out what our style is and that is finding consonants so that's the first question the second question is how do i don't know what to do next i don't know where to go and that's a very easy answer. That's a quick answer. Informational interviews all day long, informational interviews. And I don't mean, hey, can I like take you out for a sandwich and spend an hour and a half talking to you? I mean, just like quick hits, 15 minutes. You find somebody, you ask them like a couple of very specific questions about what they love about their work, how they got into the work that they do, what's special about it, how do they know this is the work for them? Find people who have interesting lives and interesting bios. And if they're doing work that seems like it lights them up and it fascinates you, everyone has time for 15 minutes. And now this is a great moment because it is um, people have, you know, we, you can catch people now. People are sort of everybody's super busy, but everyone seems to be around. And so there's lots of opportunity to catch people. And if what you do is you see somebody and you're like, hey, I know I'm watching this person. They're super interesting. I can tell that they're interested in this specific topic. Do a Google search on the topic. Find a Harvard Business Review article, an Inc. article, a Forbes article, something in real simple or glamour or vogue or whatever it is that they're interested in. Copy the, the, the link, send them an email and say, hey, I saw this and I thought of you. I thought you might like it. By the way, I'm super interested in what you do. I would love to talk to you about these three things. Would, you know, would it be easier to do by email or phone or Zoom and who knows what kind of response you'll get. And that's how you start a relationship with somebody, but you start by giving them something and not just taking their time. A hundred percent. And I think Terrence made such a good point by saying lifestyle is the best priority, because I think 
when, when you think about the life you want to live, you do have to think about your lifestyle and, and what you want that to be. And I think these informational kind of quick hit 15 minute talks, you know, you're not necessarily spending that 15 minutes being like, and what is your vacation policy like? And right. how much money exactly are you making? And do you get sick days off? No, you're asking about the lifestyle. Like, do they make you work hard? Do they email you at two in the morning? Like, are you working on the weekends? Like, I think Ter make, Terrence makes a really good point here that you really are using these 15 minutes to figure out what the heck is your lifestyle like? Not yes. necessarily the nuts and bolts of the job, although you could probably Google that as well, but really what does your life look like? in these places. And I'm curious for you, you know, as you talked about before, you have, you know, two amazing kids. I feel like we, this is my own personal opinion. I feel like we talk about a lot of these things too late. You know, we're having these conversations when we're 25, we're having these mm -hmm. conversations when we're 30, we're having these conversations when we're 50, when we're 55. And I always think to myself, like, why aren't we, or, or if you decide you do want to do it, how do we have these conversations with 15 year olds, yeah. with 12 with year olds? Is that something that you did with your kids? And, and if so, like, how, do you change the language to like, I don't know, teenager style it? Or, or how do you do that? Yeah, it's funny. One of the questions that I got asked a lot when the book first came out on book tour was like, so do you like life coach your kids a lot? Like your kids must be exceptional. And I was like, the, the literally like the, 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 my book is called limitless. How to ignore everybody carve your own path and live your best life. So when you write a book where the subtitle starts with how to ignore everybody, your teenagers are like, is this something I should be listening to or ignoring? I mean, <laughs> definitely use that on me. So yeah, I mean, you know, my, my like moonshot dream is that this book is required freshman year reading in every college campus in the country, because I think we do such a disservice to our teens, to our college students um, by telling them that there is only one path, right? I mean, I, 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 I started the book off um, in the uh, early chapter, the, in the, in the beginning of the first chapter, talking a little bit about lean in. And I, had problem with lean in and it wasn't that it wasn't I hated it hated, hated, it, hated, it. hated it I'll say it it's a sword I'm dying on I yeah. hated that book I you know it's very it's funny hated because it. literally hated. the book was going to start with the problem with lean in and I was going to talk about how much I hated lean in and it was it, it was about six months after Sheryl Sandberg's husband died. My publisher was like, that doesn't seem very nice. Maybe you should not do that. Meanwhile, six months later, Michelle Obama comes out and is like, that shit don't work for everybody. And I'm like, okay, see, Michelle Obama can say it. Like, I can say it. Um, and I think that might have been her, her exact quote, so I apologize for Cursing, um, but but my issue with Lean In wasn't that Sheryl Sandberg used all of her massive amounts of privilege to get to where she was. Frankly, we would be folly not to do that. You've used your privilege. I've used my privilege. We have privilege in spades, right? We're two cisgendered straight white women here. Like we clearly have tons of privilege. So um, that wasn't my issue. I used it. She used it. It works, right? But my problem with Lean In wasn't how she how she achieved success, it was that how she defined it. And she defined it as this one unflinching myopic definition that the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office was the only one that mattered. It was the only one that was worthwhile. And I think, and especially for women, I think there are so many ways that we can achieve success that have on ramps and off ramps and left turns and right turns. And so and frankly, I will also tell you, after 20 years of doing executive search and interviewing thousands of leaders, the most successful people in the country, in the world, I it wasn't the ones who had the fastest and most expedient path that were actually all that interesting. It was the ones with the left turns and the right turns and the U-turns. Those were the ones that had the amazing stories and who learned great lessons and could be empathetic leaders and, and, and inspiring leaders. So, you know, that was my issue with that. And I think what happens is, we are we are training our kids that like if you don't go to Harvard you're a failure if you don't get a job at Morgan Stanley straight out of college you're a failure like all these things and we're not allowing them to fly their freak flag like we all have a freak flag every one of us is a different human and what makes the world amazing is the diversity that all of us bring to the table but if we are forcing our children to become these cookie cutter you know successatrons <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's not a word, but I think if we if we are doing that, I mean, that's 
that's pretty rough. You know, that's, 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 that's a pretty rough thing. And, and even then when our children find success, they feel like failures because they don't feel like themselves. So I don't know. In my house, we, we, I don't spend a lot of time in my house talking about success. I talk, spend a lot of time in my house talking about happiness. Now, that's not to say that I'm also not riding them and pushing them to be the very best version of themselves. But when my kids would come home, my kids were in Montessori school through sixth grade, so they didn't get grades. And then when they went to middle school and they started getting grades, my 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 son gets in my car, you know, pick him up from school, he gets in the car and he got a B on an assignment or be on a test. And he was like, so is that a good grade? And every part of my tiger mom self wanted to be like, no, that's a B. It's not an A, it's a B. But what I said was, well, let me ask you a question. Does the B reflect, like he got like an 85% or something. So, so having 85 percentage of perfection, does that reflect your understanding of the material? And he was like, um, no, I think I understand it better than that. And I was like, okay. And does the 85% reflect your preparation for the test? And he was like, definitely not. He was like, I definitely, um, definitely prepared more than that. I'm like, okay, so now we understand the problem. The problem is that you understand the material well, and you worked, you know, you didn't work hard enough in the way that you needed to, 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 get an A on the test. So now we know you need to figure out study skills or testing skills. And rather than being like you're good or you're bad, we just diagnosed the problem as as something that he could solve. So I don't know. I mean, I, I have a complete sample set of two children. So take that for take that for what it's worth. But yeah, I I think we'd all be a whole lot happier if we pursued happiness and not success. Well, your sample set is bigger than my sample set, which is zero because I don't have kids yet. So two is, is better than zero. But if you're just jumping in here, we're talking about carving your career path. It's an interactive conversation. So if you have questions, type them in because Laura and I are very nice and we'll probably include you in the conversation if you want to be included. So if you have a question, type it in. If not, I'm going to continue with my questions because God knows I have a million of them. So <laughs> I will dominate this whole conversation if you don't want to jump in. Um, uh, I love this point by Jeff too. Sarah Blakely's father asked, what did you fail at today? Uh, yeah. I think that hits on your point also, Laura, about like happiness and trying new things and really defining success, not by the corner office, but yes. by new things that you're trying. So thank you, Jeff, for pointing that out. I yeah. That, and, I, and I love Angie's point. Can Laura be my mom for a day? I don't know. Are you adopting kids for the day? If I so, mean, I'd like to be in line too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my eldest to college on Friday, so I'll have an empty bed. <laughs> Come on up. <laughs> but let me, just one thing on failure. I think we, we learn as adults that failure is finale. Like you get hired for doing something well, for showing competency in something. You get hired and then you get praised and promoted and 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 uh, you get raises for doing that thing over and over and over again. And God forbid you step to the left or you step to the right and you mess up and you try something new. And now what? Right. Like we're so afraid to step out of the, the, the groove that we're in. We think failure is going to be finale. But the truth is that failure is fulcrum. It's the place where you learn and you grow and you change and you iterate. And like, what do people say? Like first attempt in learning or, uh, you, know, you know, or Thomas Edison's like, I didn't fail. I found 10,000 ways that didn't work. I mean, there's so many trite tropes and all the rest of this, but it's true. And I was actually giving this talk once uh, in Austin, actually. Uh, and I I got to the point of my talk and I'm like, failure's not finale, it's fulcrum. And I looked down, it's right in front of me, stage left, front row was Commander Tim Copra of NASA, who's been on three spacewalks. And I was like, failure's not finale, it's fulcrum. Except for you, sir. <laughs> For everyone else in this audience, as long as there is oxygen in your lungs and blood in your veins, failure is not finale, it's fulcrum. But not you. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're in space and have no oxygen and then you're dead. That's not then good it for is you, sir. Definitely, definitely finale. But think else. about it. Like, Kim, haven't you learned, like, haven't you learned more from your failures than from your successes in life? Haven't they, haven't they given you like, you know, more inflection and more trajectory than anything else you've done? I mean, that's where the best stories come from. That's where the best learning comes from. Failure is awesome. 
I will also say any anyone in the audience who can relate, maybe you can type in a yes so I don't feel like I'm exposing too much of myself here. But I would, when I was dating back in my single days, um, I would always get, if I got halfway through a date that was just going terrible, and, and I've had some epically bad dates where like these crazy things happen, it just keeps getting worse. I would always kind of say to myself, let's see this through to the end because this is going to be one hell of a story at brunch tomorrow when I get together <laughs> with my girlfriends over mimosas and I sit down and I'm like, you guys will not believe my yeah. date last night and just how like crazy and wild and he threw a drink and it just, you know, and, and, and cause I would always think myself like, this is going to be a failure, but I'm going to turn this failure into like an epic story. Yes. And so actually please, please drop a yes in the, in the comments, because I also just feel like hmm, I, I revealed a little much about myself. Here. <laughs> um, so I need the moral support of like, I just revealed something pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Um, so if you could drop a yes, that made me feel better, but I, I want to get to, back to jo uh, Joseph's question here. Cause I really want to make sure that I just don't hog the conversation with all my questions. But when you talk about these informational interviews, how do you find these people? How do you reach out to them? How are you accessing them? So I think what happens is we go to networking events back when there were networking events. Um, and we would go and we would think there's going to be someone there and I need to talk to them because I want to work for them or they've got a job or I want them to like be my mentor, right? Capital M mentor. And we put all this pressure on the interaction. Now, do you think that they go to the event because they just want to hang out and be solicited all day? No, they're there because they also have somebody who's like, I want to talk to that person, right? Because I want to do a business deal with them. Like everybody's there with an agenda. So your agenda is to be not like the CIA, like you're not in, you're not learning, you're not stalking, you're not getting information, you're not having long drawn out building relationship conversations. You are a SEAL, you are a Navy SEAL, you're in, you're out, you're done. Your only job to get the informational interview is to get a quick hit. So you see someone who you think is interesting if it's at a networking event and your job there is not to pitch them. Don't give them your elevator pitch. Don't worry about it because you're gonna end up screwing something up and pouring wine on them or something. Ask me how I know. Your job is to get them to say yes to having a conversation with you the next day or the week after. Like your job is to just get a, you know, yep, give me a call. Here you go. Here's my number. If we are not in a networking face-to-face -face kind of time, your job is to send them an email, to reach out to them on LinkedIn, to Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, with something you think they will think is interesting, right? Givers get. I think somebody put that in the comments. I love that. Um, if you find something they might like, you give them a bit of information. The internet is filled with free information. Find something that they might like or tag them in a post. I'm doing this research um, for my next book and there were a couple people who I'm like, oh wow, I would really love to interview them. I don't know how to get to them. So I just posted a photo of me, like some cheesy photo of me like reading their book. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love this book, you should read it. And half of them wrote back and were like, hey, thanks. And I'm like, hey, well, can I interview for my, and they were like, sure, right? So you just like use whatever you have, whether it's a platform or just knowledge or your ability to just Google search something that you think would be interesting to them, send it to them. And then your only job is not to make them your mentor, but to have a mentoring moment with them. That's the big difference, right? We try so hard to find people that are going to be these permanent people in our lives, these mentors, when really we're changing, we're growing. The person who mentored you when you were 22 probably isn't the person who should mentor you when you're 42, right? Like it's different. So if you can find people and have those quick hit conversations and then follow up, they're going to give you advice. Take their advice, do something with it, follow up with them afterwards, let them know what you did and how it turned out, and then ask them another question. People love to be smart. People love to be needed. People love, like I got, I literally will walk out of my office, I will walk into the kitchen and I will have two teenagers who are ignoring everybody, carving their own path and living their best life. I love it when another adult's like, I listened to you and here's what I did. And everybody has those teenagers or somebody, staff member, somebody who's not listening to them. So to wanna feel loved and wanted and smart is such a gift. You can give that gift. You're not taking their time. You're giving them the gift. And for all of you who are like, I don't know, I'm nervous, I'm shy, I'm introverted. I see you, I am the same. I am actually a raging introvert. And one day somebody said to me, how good do you feel when you help somebody? I said, I feel amazing. And he said, then why are you stealing that from somebody else? Why aren't you letting other people feel amazing too? 
by reaching out to people and having those informational conversations. It could be an informational interview. It could just be a quick exchange of a couple questions. It doesn't have to be a big formal thing. The individual little bites lead to longer formal relationships and you never know where they're gonna go unless you start those conversations. You have to start those conversations and I wanna to get to Mitch's question really quick before we get into like my, back to my questions, yeah. uh, back to my like basket questions. But when you're pivoting, how do you think about age? How do you not be the old guy or old woman lady uh, in the room if you're gonna do a change in your career later in life or even a big change? Like I'm gonna move from banking to go be a yoga instructor. So I will say ageism is real. It is 100% real, no matter how many times people want to deny it, it's real. Now, that said, there are also things that you bring to the table because you're older. You've got perspective, you've got you know knowledge, you've seen it, you've done it, you, you, you've got wisdom. And I read a study uh, uh, several years ago that said that the average age of successful entrepreneurs of startups, not entrepreneurs of startups, but successful entrepreneurs of startups is middle life, right? Like late thirties, late forties, that time, because a, they could, they have a little bit more money so they could self fund a little bit. They're also surrounded by people who are smarter and wiser and have perspective. And they also know what they can do well and what they can't do so well and who they should surround themselves with. So there is a lot that comes from being older. So yes, you will experience ageism 100%. But there are also things that you bring to the table because of your age. And if you're walking into a place where people are not appreciating what you bring to the table because of your age, then they're not appreciating you. They're not appreciating diversity of information, diversity of opinion. They're not appreciating knowledge. There's probably some ego going on. It's probably not a place where you want to be anyway. So I think you got to just be who you are. And if people aren't going to like you for who you are, you don't want to be there you're not going to be successful if you're there. So I think it's thinking about it, trying to say to yourself, not, well, what am I, what, what is wrong with me because I'm 60 as opposed to what do I bring to the table because I'm 60. That's sort of a mindset shift. The other thing I would say is on your resume, you probably have lines that say things like proficient in Microsoft word. Take that off get rid of that because I'm going to assume that you are proficient in Microsoft Word, right? So all the stuff like the technology stuff, just when I see that on the resume, that screams to me like, I know how to do a cut and paste, right? Like it's like, it's, I, I, would, I would get rid of that. If you are active, if you are athletic, if you are um, somebody who was on, you know, uh, competitive master's teams or you run a 5K once a month, you can put that on your resume to show that you're active. But the best way to do it is to take, and this goes for everybody at every single age, the lines on your resume that say things like responsible for, get rid of those lines, responsible for organizing, uh, you know, uh, a, a department of X number of people to do blah, blah, blah. That's your job description. What I want to know is what kind of change did you make because you were there? So I want to say I want to see things like saved 40% in overhead by doing blah 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 like when you're showing me the actual result through the action and then giving me the context as opposed to giving me just a you know a, a line on the resume that could read from your position description that shows me actual action and energy which then goes against my like mm, I don't know is he old is he tired I'm not so sure so those are, that's sort of a mindset shift and then just a very uh, specific tactic that you can use. I love that. And it's so true. That's good for any age. Everyone should yes. be doing that to their resumes yes. and, and their LinkedIn's, which is, which is kind of like a visual resume. Okay. I'm really excited for like the speed round questions because I have a feeling you're just going to drop <laughs> some brilliant, brilliant bombs on us with these speed round questions. So I'm going to take a sip of my caffeine. And then we're going to feel like I should too. Okay. Okay. What, what is the best thing that you have started using lately or doing lately that you absolutely love are obsessed with? And you're sort of telling everybody about like, I love this app or I love this show, or I love this thing that I started doing or using or buying or having. Um, sleep. <laughs> That's it. Sleep. I have been working 
very, very hard. And maybe this is because shout out to my other old people here. I got perimenopausal thing going on and I'm like awake during the night and some nights I'm freezing and some nights I'm sweating and who knows, but I am in the midst of training for the Boston Marathon, which is happening in October this year. Usually it's in April, but I am, yeah, I decided that I was going to do this. So I am, I am physically capable of making it 26.2 miles. I'll probably have to walk a whole bunch of it, but the only way I'm going to get from here to there uninjured is recovery, sleep, rest, hydration, eating well, but sleep. I feel like sleep is, that is like, it's like, it solves all problems. So I've been working very hard at sleeping. At sleeping. I love that. I think, wasn't it Ariana Huffington who wrote a whole book about sleep? Am yes. I making that up? She did. She, did. Like, she, that did. Was like her whole, she was like fainting at work and stuff. And then she's like, I don't sleep enough. Uh, yeah. which, which to your point does seem like very, very much something that's needed. Yeah, we um, don't take okay. care of ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves and sleep is, it's all of it. No, never. Okay, what's the next thing that you're hoping to learn that you're just like, I can't wait when I have enough time. I know you're training for the marathon right now and, and the next book and stuff. But when you get a little bit of free time, which I'm sure will never happen, but let's say it does, what is something that you're hoping to learn? So um, the next thing that I'm hoping to learn, it might be the least sexy thing ever, email funnels. <laughs> I'm trying to learn email funnels. <laughs> Oh my God, I have like, I'm just gonna show you. I have like a, like a, like put my, like a, a, a terrible uh, whole spreadsheet of like where it's gonna go and it's so confusing. And I feel like, you ever feel like you have those moments when you're bumping up against the edge of your intellect? I'm like, I can see, I can see where Every I become day. dumb right here. Yes, <laughs> email funnels. That is the next thing I'm trying to learn. Don't even get me started on those email funnels. They are so hard, so, so confusing. Hard. And they're like, and then there's a tripwire that takes you from this sequence into this sequence into the. I was like, you lost me at sequence. We need to go back <laughs> 10 steps. Yes. What are we sequencing? Like the yes. genome? I don't know what's happening. It feels like that. Yes. That's what it feels like. No, I, I totally, I totally hear you. Okay. But I, I, I am trying to learn how to drum, like rock and roll drumming. So like, that's the fun thing I'm trying to learn how to do. But yeah, email funnels, sadly, is the thing. <laughs> Wait, right you learn to drum via Zoom or somebody comes to your house and Travis Barker's with you? Uh, yeah, it's definitely not. Travis Barker would be like, okay, just, you should just quit. You have absolutely no ability to control your limbs and time and space and you have no rhythm whatsoever. So no, I have like a little app and I pull it up and I like, it like blinks red and I hit the drum and it blinks green. And I hit the snare and I'm just trying to like, yeah, it's terrible. I'm like, I'm like animal, like my basement. It's, I am really, really, really bad, but there is something about just smacking drums in your basement when nobody can hear you that is really good for your mental health wait what is this app this sounds amazing um i don't know i have to send you it's it's i don't okay, it's called music something but i'll have to send it to you yeah yeah i'll put it in the show notes too okay. for anybody else who's <laughs> super curious about this i have this theory that you know the old saying was you are the five people that you spend the most time with but now i think with these crazy things that were also the the summation of the five people that we spend the most time with in person and digitally so yes. so who are some uh humans or accounts or brands or something that you follow could be on instagram could be on linkedin could be on twitter that just light you up that you're like every time they post you're like yes that's a yes yeah. Um, so somebody mentioned Sarah Blakely earlier. I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Robin Roberts, I love. She's a total shero of mine. And she's just always about like positivity and great stuff. My friend Carrie Lorenz, who has a, a new book out right here called Span of Control. She was the um, first female F-14 fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy. And she's all about like, what's in your control? Like, what are the things you can control? And what are the things you can't? And how do you focus on what you can and everything else becomes noise. And then um, Susan David, uh, also another friend of mine, um, emotional agility, all about like when you're like, oh, I just feel stressed. You're like, well, do you? Or do you feel angry? Or do you feel frustrated? Or do you feel sad? Or like, let's talk a little bit more about the emotions so we can get underneath it. Her posts are always about that. And then lastly, um, I don't know if you're watching Ted Lasso, but there is a Ted Lasso Twitter account. Ted Lasso, like he quit, like, he tweets as Ted Lasso and it's the greatest thing in the world. It's like is the it, antidote to everything Lasso? else. 
Yeah, it's at Ted Lasso. And literally, it's like the antidote to everything else happening in the news right now is having Ted Lasso tweet at you. It's just like happy. It's just happiness. I, you know, I hadn't watched Ted Lasso. And then Jen, who joins us, I don't think she's here today, but she usually joins us. She was like, Kim, you have to watch Ted Lasso. It changed my life. It's amazing. I love Ted Lasso. It's the best thing ever. It, is, it brings it, me so much happiness. It's delightful. Like, that's the word for it, right? It's delightful. It's amazing. I, yeah, I'm sort of obsessed with it. So I, I cannot wait to follow that account. I didn't know it existed, but now yes. really I need to follow it. Yeah, no, he like, he posts things like, I love tea. Because, <laughs> you know, that's like part of the whole thing is that like, they keep offering him tea and he's like, tea is terrible. And he's like, I love tea. And it's, he has like 300,000 followers and it's fantastic. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. If you could give a message to everyone on the planet when it comes to carving their career or, you know, being limitless in their pursuit of what makes them happy, what, what would be like the one nugget that they could start doing today to make that happen? Yeah. So my favorite Eleanor Roosevelt quote, which is hard because there's a lot of really good ones, is this. You would worry much less about what other people thought about you if you realized how seldomly they did. We're all so afraid to step to the right or step to the left or do something that like, oh my God, what are they going to think of me? It turns out like the captain of the high school cheerleading team is not sitting there thinking about you wondering like, I wonder if Kim's doing all right. Like she doesn't care. You know, like people yeah. don't like nobody's nobody's paying that much attention. The best piece of advice I ever got, the hardest piece of advice I ever got was you're just not that important. Like we think we have to show up all the time to everything and be all things to all people. At the end of the day, you got to figure out where you actually are that important and double down there. Everything else, everything else is noise. Everything else doesn't matter. So sweet. I, if I could do anything, I would relieve people of the burden of worrying what everybody else thinks about them because they're not thinking about them at all. So figure out what you love, figure out where you are important, figure out who matters to you and what matters to you. And then just relentlessly focus on that and that alone. Oh, I love that. Okay. Everybody here, Brooke, Justin, Darren, Angel, Jeff, Stephen, I think I speak for all of us when I say, well, I speak for myself and maybe some of you. I love homework. I love homework. <laughs> I feel like the Laura learning shouldn't stop when this ends. So what is something that all of us should do this week? It could be a podcast. I will shamelessly say we should all listen to your podcast, but we'll see what you say. Like, should we, what, is it a newsletter we should subscribe to? Is it a podcast episode we should listen to? Like, what is our homework assignment yeah. from you for this week? It is very easy and it'll take you literally three minutes. Um, I mentioned Love calling, that. connection, contribution, and control as the four pieces of consonants for you to figure out how much of each you want and how much of each you need and how much of each you actually have in your life. So there is a quiz at myfourquestions.com. There are four questions, myfourquestions.com. You'll get a question about calling, a question about connection, a question about contribution, and a question about control. And I will email to you a beautiful PDF that tells you exactly how much you have, exactly how much you want, and what to do to bridge the gap between them for you specifically so that you can find not just success, but happiness as well. I love that. And I love homework that takes three minutes. That's the best type of homework, everybody. So if they want to keep, if everybody wants to keep learning from you, what social medias do you yeah. spend the most time on? So um, my, my, my name is Laura Gassner Odding. My friends all call me LGO. So I'm on all the socials at Hey, LGO, H-E-Y-L-G-O, everywhere. Um, I spend a lot of time on, on all of them. I'm, I am, I would say, probably definitely very like on message on Facebook, on the author speaker page, on Instagram, you'll get a little bit more family um, and, and, and a little bit of uh, a little bit of sort of where I stand in terms of sort of social justice issues. And on Twitter, I may be a little bit more political. So if you like that, you're going to love me on Twitter. If you don't, that's cool. I'll see you on Instagram or Facebook. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. You are amazing, as I've already said, but I really, really appreciate it. And I just wanted to say, I cannot wait 
for all of us to do the homework. And, you know, I would say email you, tag you, repost you, because then you know that we did our homework assignment. So I just I would love to know how everybody did. Uh, I love this. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining. And we'll be here same time, same place, 1 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays next week. So thanks so much, everybody. Whew, that was some good stuff. Thanks for being a part of this week's Coffee with Kim. If podcasts are your thing, subscribe to the show and you'll see a new episode appear next week in your favorite listening app. If you want to be a part of the conversation, join us live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern over on LinkedIn. You can RSVP at getcoffeewithkim.com. I want you to have your questions answered because why should I get to have all the fun? And let's be honest, you know how to ask some hard hitting questions. My guests and I cannot wait to meet you. See you soon.